to get along, and so you're back from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. I should have changed that stupid lock. I should have made you leave your key. If I'd known for just one second, you'd be back to bother me. Go on now, go. Walk out the door. Frank! Bring your head in this window before I roll it up in there. Got it. Frank! When we're kids, before we're taught how to think or what to believe, our hearts tell us there is something out there. And that something is rambling. <laughs> An rambling monk. We haven't recorded one of these in person together for a while, so I forget how disconcerting it is when you stare at me without blinking. Because uh, you read out your intro. Indeed. <laughs> Hello. Did you like that? That famous quote from Men in Black. <laughs> Eminently quotable script. <laughs> By Robert Gordon and Barry Fanaro. <laughs> taking them off, taking them off, straight out. <laughs> Welcome back to Ramblin' and Amblin' Podcast, dear listeners. Our first episode of the year, that is, 2024. Uh, we got here. <laughs> In a way. In a way. Maybe not. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> In one piece, In one I was piece. trying to say that the thought... Fell apart in my head. It's okay. I'm operating, I think, about 40% capacity today. That's so good. don't expect very much. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, At least we've already recorded with our esteemed guests. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, we hope you all had a lovely Christmas and New Year. And um, we welcome you back with our episode here on Men in Black 2. And as Josh said that just there, we will be joined later in the episode by a returning guest, critic and presenter, Rihanna Dillon. Uh, thank you once again to Rihanna for joining us. Uh, you f- Rambling fans may remember from How to Make an American Quilt. Uh, we'll get more stuck into the <laughs> the meat and potatoes of Men in Black 2 later on in the episode. We'll pick up the thread. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get to all that, we've got some business up top to see too. Bit of hash keeping. Yeah. And, and I, I've been given the rather fun job. <laughs> <laughs> I demanded. Now, Andrew, let me do the context for this one. There's going to be reams of fun stuff to get through. And I was okay with that. <laughs> now, I, I know you'll have done something in this synopsis to try and annoy me. Yeah, but I think uh, it's a middle ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if any of the listeners haven't watched Men in Black 2, mm-hmm. Or M M two B, M two B, or not, not to, to be? be. <laughs> Christ, but we no watched the Beekeeper last week, which uh, will immediately uh, age. Oh yeah, that podcast. did have a Hamlet joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be or not to be, I or choose to be. I'll take to be. Yes, if if any of our listeners have wisely chosen to issue watching or rewatching M two B, please tell us <laughs> what it's about. <clears throat> The men in back are black. 
<laughs> straight out the gate. I thought you would do in a bit. <laughs> straight out the gate, get black and back mixed up. Oh, they, yeah. they do sound very happen. similar. I knew it was going to happen. To be fair. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, not a great start. Not a great start. For, to the year. <laughs> but I do have a sound belt, soundboard so I can press buttons like sad trombone <laughs> when things like this happen. Now we should say to the listener as though we're trying to get a bit more high tech. 57 yeah. episodes in I think it is. Give or Something take, yeah. like that. Approaching 60 and also over three years into our podcast. <laughs> we're, we're trying to get a little bit more high tech but that does mean that Andy's got a soundboard in front of him. i got a Roadcaster Pro. It's my new toy. <laughs> With only one auxiliary input. So Andy's got headphones in. He's fully aware of what you can hear right now, listeners. I'm not. So I'll, I'll find out what he's up to. Yep. And I listen back to it. I'm sure he'll love it all. <laughs> anyway, where was it? <laughs> the men in black are back, breaking the back of the random attackers from outer space. They've been trained to bust the stranger force trying to endanger us. Galaxy defenders, don't act like you don't remember. And Agent J, once again played by Will Smith, is one of the best in the ranks at the MIB. But has had something of a problem sticking with a new partner since neuralizing his mentor K, played by Tommy Lee Jones, five years ago. Are these the lyrics? <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> these are. But check it. There's this chick, right? Selena. Laughlin Boyle, make a J sick, right? Earthless and worthless to her. She'd be tripping like, threatening the MIB and trying to get her tentacles on the mysterious light of Zafa, which was sent to Earth to be protected and hidden from her and her planet-destroying intentions decades ago. And it turns out, one agent who was heavily involved with protecting said light all those years ago was one Agent K. With Jay tasked with deneuralizing his old partner to find out just what the light is and uncover its location before Selena gets to it first. So, will Kay take kindly to being brought back into the fold? Will he remember what or where the light is? Or how does Pizzeria Waitress and Jay's Cross Laura, played by Rosario Dawson, fit into it all? <laughs> what is clear, that, though? Is that the Men in Black is back to protect the world. When the enemy is near, the elite is here. So have no fear. Just let me see ya. (laughs) (laughs) If you lot could see his little face now as he's nodding his head. This is the happiest I've ever seen him. (laughs) It is stupid though, because I'm sure there have been... Imagine how (laughs) many hundreds and thousands of missions that there have been since the forming of the Men in Black and how many agents they've had to neuralize. Mm. Surely there's, 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 there's hundreds, if not thousands, of agents who are intrinsically linked to, to past missions. But they must have a database of things they know yep. as a contingency. It's, it's, on, it's building a, a house it's on the sand. Like it's a Fred Bear plot. <laughs> <laughs> who let the dogs out? Woof, woof. Woof, woof. Yeah. Oh, that's this just in the film, isn't it? That's one of the things that we're oh, talking about. Are you, of course there is a who let the dogs out yeah. a bit. Of course there is. Courtesy of uh, Fenero. Fenero? Is that the guy who no. voices the dog? No, he's the the second uh, writer. The third, arguably third <laughs> oh, writer. Oh, yeah. Pop culture references. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm catching up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm back, baby. I'm 100, 110%. <laughs> That your bit just then was like a limitless pill to me. Good. I've unlocked eighty percent of my brain. <laughs> These baths aren't adding up, are they? <laughs> so that was good though. Well done. Thank did you. you have a good time doing that? I did. 
one of the shorter synopsis for one of these things I've written so far, but just because there's very little <laughs> here. And um, I think that's because of uh, a case of what I like to call sequelitis, <laughs> which is often the case when a film to a popular film with both critics and film audiences. Film to a popular film? <laughs> a film that is a sequel to a popular film uh, comes out and is, in this case, not even rushed out. And no. we end up having little symptoms of just misunderstandings and of what made the first one work mm. and kind of repackaged, reheated mm. to offer the viewer a bad case of sequelitis. But mm. Josh, how did we get to such a bad case of sequelitis? Well, we'll strap in. Uh, I'm going to self-edit as we go along because writing these notes, I found yeah. myself getting a bit bored because no one really gives a shit about the minutiae of Men in Black 2, do they? <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, the first is one pretty, of my favourite blockbusters. It's pretty bad when us two can't <laughs> even get behind it. <laughs> Strap in because we're going to press the red button. Um, That's uh, that will just play the theme tune again. <laughs> so obviously, with the original being such a, a success, development began pretty much straight away. Uh, Columbia Pictures on a bad run, including Pricey Disappointments, Godzilla, Eight Millimeter, and Random Hearts, announced the third of July two thousand two as the film's release date, and the ever reliable David Kep was brought on to write the screenplay. Kep left the project, uh, though. I didn't realise Kep was on this for a bit. Very briefly. Uh, not very long. I don't even... I don't know if he even managed to sketch a schematic. He was just initially attached. Then he left to work on Spider-Man and Panic Room, two vastly superior films, <laughs> leading to a script written by Robert Gordon, previously of... Galaxy Quest, I Yes, believe. indeed. And then a later, great movie. <laughs> very great movie. And then later on, of Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate ah. Events. Famous. So there's... Solenfeldian tendrils. Indeed. Already. Uh, later revisions were then made by Barry Fanero, who had previously written Kingpin and a film called The Crew. Kingpin. Pretty good, Kingpin. And he would later write, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as will come to light in our conversation with Rihanna later on, explains an awful lot. Uh, Fanero added in the kinds of pop culture references that Gordon had been careful to avoid. Such as, as we alluded to just now, Frank the Pug singing Who Let the Dogs Out. I was going to play the laughter button, but I thought that was a bit too crass. <laughs> we should have gotten a... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> We're like shock jocks, aren't we, today? I think the soundboard is bringing out the worst in us. It's all right. Um, I'll load it up with more. Well, as we go along, we'll realise what we need the most. <laughs> Sonnenfeld apparently took issue with the script's delay in bringing Kay back into the action because as far as I've read, from what I could see, Kay was always going to be in it. Yeah. It was not a case so. of them happening upon that, trying to make it work elsewhere. If it was, there's nothing public about that that I could see. Um, Sonnenfeld took issue with the script's delay in bringing Kay back into the action with his introduction not coming until 50 pages in and the intervening time being given to Smith's romance with Dawson. Sonnenfeld's reasoning for his upset was that Wild Wild West was evidence that audiences did not want to see Will Smith as the straight man. So he therefore had Fenero condense the first part of the movie. I'd say that film had a lot more wrong with it than just that. Just as we say later with Rano, it seems to have fundamentally broken Sonnenfeld and changed his sensibilities on a molecular level. 
Um, so Smith does become the de facto straight man, but for the, the more condensed first portion of the movie, uh, which allowed Jones to come in earlier on and minimise the time that Will Smith couldn't be Will Smith in. <laughs> uh, Smith and Jones did return as the leads, uh, obviously, but the, the, the reason the film took as long as it did to come to fruition is because they initially held out for contractual reasons, because uh, Spielberg mm. got remember Spielberg got a big chunky profit share of the first one yeah. in exchange for his name being on the film. I think that stays on for this entire franchise. Yeah, because there's a weird thing, and we'll get to it in then about mm-hmm. three. But I think like of the nearly seven hundred million dollars that film made worldwide, I think Sony only got about sixty, seventy million of it Crikey. because of like Will Smith's back end. Well, that's that's the thing. Spielberg's yeah, back end. So I think Smith Jones and Sonnenfeld held out until they got a, a juicy deal. Uh, went off to make Wild Wild West, and they were like, and "No, wait, come back!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, then um, Columbia, as I mentioned, had a string of bad yeah. features, and then Christ, they did have a, bit of a bad run, didn't they had a bad run. Yeah. Um, oh so as mentioned, Will Smith had a bit of a mixed bag in between the first and second Ben in Blacks. He turned down the Matrix in favour mm. of Wild Wild West, but he also gave the Oscar, Oscar-nominated performance as Muhammad Ali in Michael Mann's biopic, which is pretty good. Yeah, and he's really good in it. He's very good in that movie, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I did pretty see good. a funny fact about this film that some of the suits that had initially been <laughs> um, tailored for him had to be redone because he had gotten too bulky for Big boy. Uh, Ali in, in between I the measurements. I don't think it's that apparent on screen. No. I, know no. I wouldn't say. Uh, Jones, meanwhile, was involved in a combination of Amblin and Amblin-adjacent projects in the interim, uh, from the fugitive sequel U.S. Marshals to Small Soldiers and Space Cowboys. Space Cowboys. Which I've never seen, but it feels like it's something yeah, that's, I'm I used surprised to watch that quite Amblin. a bit as a kid. One of those weird like adult movies that mm. like is fine for a kid to watch. That, it's because so. it's got space and cowboys in the yeah, name. Yeah, it's much more boring than that title. <laughs> yeah. it? It's like 140 minutes. And Isn't yeah. Tommy Lee Jones the young buck? He's Isn't that the young movie? <laughs> <laughs> Should say the cast is rounded up by Clint Eastwood, um, Donald Sutherland, and James Garner. <laughs> Oy. On villain duties uh, is Laura Flynn Boyle, who was brought in to replace Famke Janssen, is that how you say it, Famke? Famke Janssen. Famke Janssen, excuse me to my to our Dutch listeners, uh, who are dropped out due to personal issues. Uh, Boyle at this point was probably best known for Twin Peaks yeah. and Baby Stay Out. Yes, I think that would be in fair which to she say. played the mother. Um, I uh, think Famke Janssen might have actually shot some of this as well. Huh. Um, it was quite a late in the day thing. Um, Interesting. Well, I yeah, like I read that somewhere. Whether it was in this research or at another time. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> curious. But you can see, no disrespect to Miss Boyle, but I can see Janssen oh, yeah. in this role. And you can see the attempts to so sort of Then you're on a top vamping. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyhow, we've got Boyle and we've got to deal with it. <laughs> Rip Torn. <laughs> Rip Torn returned to Zed. It's like a plague, isn't it? We've got, We've got boils. boils. We're going to have to deal with it. Rip Torn returned to Zed, uh, while fan favourites like Tony Shalhoub's Jeebs and Tim Blanke's, uh, Blaney's Frank the Pug were brought back to ensure that returns were thoroughly diminished. <laughs> Elsewhere, Sonnenfeld brought, back, uh, brought over a few cast members from his other 2002 joint, Big oh, Trouble. God. 
uh, real fucking piece of shit that movie is, <laughs> uh, such as Johnny Knoxville, Patrick Warburton, and Jack Keller. Who's Jack Keller in this? He's uh, Ben, the pizza guy. Oh, okay. Uh, very Sonnenfeldy face mm-hmm. that guy's got. Uh, noticeable in her absence is Linda Fiorentino's Agent L, who was set up as Jay's replacement, sorry, Kay's replacement at the end of the first film and plays a prominent role in the 1997 animated series. As she does. Producer Laurie McDonald said that she was originally in the script, but it turned out to not be a big enough role. Says McDonald, we would have loved to have her, but when we began to develop the story, we couldn't find a major place for her. We always knew that the movie would be about bringing Tommy Lee Jones back, which does sound like spin. Spit it, spit it, we gotta spit it. <laughs> in reality, Fiorentino had been burnished with a difficult label, which I'm using uh, inverted commas for, due to having, again, in inverted commas, an explosive character and a tempestuous nature, two terms that are used in a few articles that I read about how people mm. throwing those around. Uh, and there is also a rumour that Jones refused to work with her, which yeah, I, I don't think haven't seen it. verified, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, for her part, I did read Fiorentino citing scheduling conflicts, but then I've also seen things like uh, pay disputes and stuff like mm. that. So. Yeah, if everyone's getting a pay rise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, damn shame, Can man. I getting a pay rise? <laughs> <laughs> this is a damn shame. She's good in that first one. And there's a nice chemistry. There is, yeah. There's an attempt to try and bottle elsewhere. Mm. But, yeah, it's, again, one of those sequel elements where... Um, when you eventually get to the sequel, it feels like they never intended for the first one to have actually ended the way it is or, or to have continued this thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then why did you leave it the way you did? <laughs> um, there is also a pointed cameo from Michael Jackson, oh. who had refused to approve the use of his, of his image on the giant board of famous aliens in the first film, but who now wanted to play an actual MIB agent and wear a suit. Sonnenfeld <laughs> said, I had a lovely conversation with Michael in which he told me he'd seen the first Men in Black in Paris and had stayed when all the other people had left the theatre and sat there and wept. I had to explain to him that it was a comedy. <laughs> oh, Michael. Weird guy. <laughs> Principal photography ran from 11th of June 2001 with a potential actor's strike on the horizon and the script again in flux due to a constant barrage of questions from producers and studio higher-ups. Indeed, so taxing was the production that Sonnenfeld was rushed to hospital one day due to suspicions he was having a heart attack. He wasn't, but the doctor had apparently never seen anyone so stressed out before. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So, a lot of cooks. Um, Just not the movie to have a heart attack over, is it? <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Given the time frame that I've laid out, mm-hmm. the f- production also occurred, was occurring during the September 11th attacks, uh, during which filming was suspended for, I think, a couple of days. It wasn't yeah. an awful long grace you know, period. Big New York movie. Yeah. Uh, before resuming and ultimately wrapping two weeks later. Uh, quite famously, there's a few films, uh, particularly Columbia films, weirdly, yeah. like Sony films. This and Spider-Man had climaxes taking place against the backdrop of the World Trade Center. I guess Spider-Man had a long enough pipeline. Oh, was, no, it was, it, it was a the, teaser trailer, the, the wasn't it? The teaser trailer Spider-Man. originally Spider-Man. had yeah. Spider-Man catching yeah. crooks in a web in between the two yeah. towers, and that was in circulation in cinemas still. Uh-huh. They took that out. Yeah. 
Um, Whereas this it didn't really have to rework any action. Of and Spider-Man, that's pretty fluid still. Yeah, like, and they added the "You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us" bit, which is good. It's a good bit. I was going <laughs> to say the bridge. It's, it's hokey and easy to mock, but it really works. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, me too. It, it, it's improved in the sequel with the subway bit when everyone carries. Yeah. Oh man, that's so good. Movies. Good movies. <laughs> Um, this film, however, was supposed to take place. Sorry, the climax of this film was supposed to take place against the backdrop of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. But in the wake of 9 11, it was changed to Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get into this a little bit in our conversation about mm. how much of an impact that may have had on the on the climax. And it definitely, you can tell there's some chopping and yeah, changing. Something's changed a bit. There's yeah. something more fundamentally wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, the. The, the car was broken before we were pulling into the garage. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, bunch of the production crew came back. Bo Welch on production design, which probably at this point is the saving grace of the film because it still at least yeah. looks like a million back film. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Baker on uh, alien designs, mm-hmm. prosthetics and everything again. Between good, the two of gaggle. them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Skip Livesley. Skip Le- Leaves- Leavesy. Sorry, Skip. S- Skip. Leavesy yep. was back uh, on sound editing duties, uh, tweaking and improving the neuralizer sound from the original using a synclavier synthesizer. Is that interesting? <laughs> I don't know. Makes it, it, it gets the sound from a flashbulb, right? It like was, a uh, yeah, it was a, 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 a strobe flash as it recycled. <laughs> and for this one, they recorded it and took out some distortion, cleaned it up a little bit. That wasn't that wasn't a sound effect button. That was that was. Me. <laughs> You're like the the police academy guy, aren't you? <laughs> Look at you. Forgotten that guy's name. Michael. Is it? <laughs> I think his name is Michael. <laughs> we'll find out. To hourly convey Selena, the sound crew took tree branches, put them inside a rubber membrane, and pushed them around and added some water. That sounds like they got them in there, pushed them around and went, that doesn't sound right. And then like, should we just add some water? Okay. That sounds like what that thought process was. I I wrote this and read it, but then in that moment, it didn't make any sense to me. I had a a real uncanny moment. I have read that. No, as, as well. well, though, and yes. it is worded that way. <laughs> <laughs> Rounding out the, the the sound duties, uh, Danny Elfman returning to score the film. Very anonymous score. Yeah, this, this is really, I mean, you have the, the reprise and the sort of slight tweaking of the classic, the classic theme. Um, but nothing particularly stands out like in no. the first one. And then once again, Will Smith penned a tie-in single. And Black Suits come... <laughs> You know the rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that one. <laughs> so production wrapped late September 2001, and the first photos for the film were revealed in October of that very year. And the first teaser trailer was attached to The Fellowship of the Ring and Ali, while the main full-length tra- uh, trailer was debuted online. Is this the first film that we've done that had a full featured trailer? Full hmm, first full trailer come online. Yeah, I can't. I'm I keep, I, I'm all Maybe. over the place today. Is this the first one we've done that's had 
you know what I'm trying to say. Is Artificial this the first intelligence and minority report made whose well trailer debuted online? Thank you. There you go. But they debuted online. Because that's a shift. That is a shift. And I remember, because I think I mentioned before, 2002 was the year that I started getting into downloadable content. 2002, yep. 3, 4, that window of time, I think, things changed from being in... Yeah, I'm trying to think what was the first, like, really on online film I was getting into. Mm. Remember going on, like, the War of the Worlds website? Yeah. That would be coming up. Revenge of the Sith, same year. Mm. Probably Spider-Man 2, you know. Yeah, yeah. 2002. Shrek 2. Shrek 2. Yeah. There'd have been a lot of wallpapers there. Probably a good online game. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was a time when, when you might go and see a film just to get a teaser trailer for something else. Like, the Attack of the Clones trailer was attached to... What was it now? Would it have been Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, maybe? That might Christmas. have been... Anyway, anyway, we're getting in the weeds. But it's an interesting thing. You, you go from... You, you need to see a trailer for something in the cinema yeah. to you can just download it online and watch it at home. Um, there were tie-ins with Burger King and Hasbro as well as a probably shitty video game tie-in called Men in Black 2 Alien Escape. I've got that. Is it any it's good? All right, yeah. It's all right. I'd say it's more heavily influenced by the cartoon than it is the mm. actual movie. Very all right. telling. The ancillary stuff PS2. around this film is vastly superior to the film itself. Yeah. Like, it's got a great DVD release. It does. Loads it's of bonus a really good, really good two-disc set. <laughs> um, the music video for Nod Your Head, directed by Francis Lawrence. <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> Which will pay off in a few years' time with <laughs> I Am Legend. Yep. Uh, the Chub Chubs, uh, mm-hmm. the animated short film that mm. was put in front of this. Pied out the runside. <laughs> Won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> so as Columbia threatened, the movie itself was released on in the US on the 3rd of July 2002, earning $18.5 million on its opening day. It went on to gross $87.1 within uh, its five day opening window breaking independence day's record for having the biggest that's big five day fourth of july opening wednesday opening it ultimately made 441.8 million worldwide on a budget that was somehow 140 million have you seen this that's expensive which at 88 minutes including credits made it the most costly live action film ever made up to that point minute for minute minute for minute that is nuts and amazingly, we'll get into it again, but Men in Black 3 may well have come close to breaking yeah. that. Yeah, oh, there's a lot of stuff that piles on onto that one. Yeah, it is incrementally more difficult to make these films, and you have to wonder with increasing exasperation. Like, let's just stop. <laughs> None of them have really done that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Reviews-wise, I don't really think it's worth getting too much into this. It was a pretty middling shrug. People may have been yeah. more inclined to be a little bit benignly passive towards it. Um, the ones that I enjoyed the most was um, the English language Indian paper, The Hindu, said that the film is worth viewing once. <laughs> Which I think, if anything, is... Yeah, that's it. I was always going to watch it at least once. <laughs> it's just such a, a gentle bit of shade, isn't it? Yeah. Worth viewing once. I mean, it must have still have come up pretty high in the summer movies for that year. Mm. Trying to get 2002's box office year up just to place it amongst yourselves. Spider Man, the first Spider Man film was the first film to cross 100 in its 100 opening weekend. Million domestically wasn't it? in its opening weekend, yeah. So it and what did this. What did this make it's domestically? Got 80, 87, sorry, um, 
Opening weekend, which is a bit cheeky because it's a five-day opening weekend, uh, 87.1. So it was quite a way off. Because for a while it was seen as impossible, I think, to yeah. cross 100 domestically in a weekend. What did it do overall domestically? Overall domestic, I don't have. I think it was... I think it was talk amongst yourselves for a second. <laughs> I wish Box Office Mojo was... Not for the listeners. This is. I'm just asking. This is. <laughs> right, I played the song. No way. Great. I'm not connected to your internet. This is a disaster. Oh, so I've got. Um, you got it up. I've got the top for 2002 up. Do it. Do you want to do a little game? Oh, this is an original <laughs> idea. Just, just, just nick a bit from blank check for a second. It's, it's not like I don't reference them extensively yeah. in the conversation with Rihanna. <laughs> At least we're honest. At least we're honest, yeah. And we, we don't play this game usually. <laughs> it's just quite a fun <laughs> quite a fun year to do. Is this summer two thousand two or overall oh, two thousand two? Overall two thousand two. Domestic or worldwide? Worldwide. Okay. So Sp- um, Spider Man Spider Man must be one. <laughs> <No>. Two Towers. <laughs> Correct. Two Towers is one. Two Towers is one with nine hundred and thirty six point Fuck, six million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Jesus, Spider-Man 2 is <coughs> Dying of the Day. That's in the top 10, but it's not It's not 2. What's the other big franchise that came out? Harry Potter and the yeah. Chamber of Secrets, of yeah. course. With 878.9. Bloody hell, and that's, that's 160 minutes. Yep. A movie. It's long. Mm. What's number 3? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> With 821.7. Oof. What you got at number four? We've already mentioned it this podcast. Ooh, ooh, big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. Was that two thousand two as well? Yeah. Jesus. Big blockbuster movie. Of big year. franchise. Oh, but down of the day, the thing that I mentioned. No, two minutes ago. Hmm. Hmm. I'd say probably a bigger franchise. Big Fantastic Bond. What was it a sequel? Or was this the original? Sequel. And also a prequel. Oh yeah, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> what a big year this was. That Jesus was, uh, Christ. Yeah, this was, I was kinda like, let's play this. This is a fun year. With uh, million. In at number five is Men in Black Two. Shit. Uh number six is a film you've already mentioned on this Dying podcast. Of the day. Yeah. <laughs> First James Bond film I saw in the cinema. First sex scene I ever saw in a cinema. It's very confusing. 431.9 million. Uh, number seven. Seven. It's an interesting one. Mm, is it an original or is it a sequel? It's an original. Born. Is it Born? No. Was that that made less though? I guess that was a yeah. bit of a sleeper. And that's an adaptation, isn't it? This is like as <gasps> a, this is pure pure blood original. Ooh. Did it have any sequels? Nope. Standalone. Yeah. Is it good? I like it. I and I believe you like it too. Have I mentioned it on the podcast? It's not a panic room. Not in this episode. No. Hmm. Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's made by a filmmaker who is divisive. Interesting. I think me and you have a lot of affection for him, and we'll cut him some slack when other people might not. Ooh. Ooh. He's someone that we like. I think we'd always, whenever he puts something new out, we're like, I'm gonna go see that. Ooh. And he's made some shit. 
I'll be up. I'm going to say it straight up. He's made some shit. <laughs> Big early hitter. Mm. And then kind of rode on those coattails for a while after mm. his first year. Mm. Well, his first few is still pretty good. Burton. Is it Burton? No. Much more contemporary than Burton. His Ooh. big hit was, his big breakout was 99. Um, it is, you. it's amazing how quickly things drain from your mind yeah. when you're on the spot. 2002, I'll give you the genre. Okay. It's sci-fi. It's got a movie star in the lead role. In 2002. I can't 2002. think of anything. I wonder if I own this on, on DVD. As a twist ending. You do own it on DVD. <laughs> do I? <laughs> oh, is it my narrative report? No. As a twist ending. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. Now, I, I think I've liked more of his recent stuff than you have, actually. Yeah. Um, 2002 was Signs. Correct. <laughs> God. Made $408.2 million. Big, big hit. I wish that this is a feature that we'd thought of because it is good fun it to is play. Fun. <laughs> uh, number eight is the only animated movie on this list. Pixar didn't have one this year, did they? Nope. Shrek was the year before. Yep. I, I can. You've. It's not a DreamWorks or a Pixar. Uh, is it a big Disney? Nope. Oh, Ice Age. Correct. With uh three hundred and eight oh three hundred and eighty three point two million. In at number nine is um a film which is often on the list of most profitable films of all time. Interesting. I think it still holds pretty high on it. Two thousand and two. Oh, is it one that we like? I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. I'm going to need some more to go on, buddy. It's a comedy drama. Dramedy. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's had two sequels, both quite far apart, and all three, I believe, have been successful on the same kind of idea of, like, let's make it for less than 10 million, and we'll probably make 100 million domestic, which this one well and truly did. Um. It was a big deal. I, I, I can remember every, like this being a bit of like, oh, this one's come out of nowhere and has made mm. over $300 million worldwide. What genre? Comedy drama. Oh, you did say. Drama. Um, very family-focused. No. A very large family, if you will. Cheaper by the dozen? No. Um, a large family focused around an <laughs> event. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably good clues um what's a big event that oh i've given a word away there big what's an event that your family might go to go to christmas no (laughs) more like a special occasion that doesn't happen all the time it's nice when it does big something big yeah a momentous occasion in everyone's life if they choose to do it. <laughs> big wedding? Yes. My big fat Greek wedding. My big fat Greek wedding. Of course. $366.7 million worldwide. <laughs> and the third one came out just last year, didn't it? Yep. 
well. And there's a TV series too, I think. Christ. Like, dummy, my partner is obsessed. Completely I remember the first one being obsessed. very charming. Can't say I've ventured any further than that, but hey-ho. And number 10 is a film we have covered on this podcast. Minority Report. Minority Report. With 358.7. Best film on that list. No, I don't even know if that's true or not, actually. Two Towers? Yeah. Or Two Towers. It'll be Two Towers. There's no Helms Deep in Minority Report. <laughs> so that's all my context <laughs> that you accounted for about half of. I'll trim some of that. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Without further ado, I reckon we bring out the big guns. Indeed. Um, we're not just talking about the little cricket. It's time. It's time. Noisy cricket. Noisy cricket. It's little. <laughs> we're going to go into Barry Sonnenfeld and his family's flat while they're watching TV. Lift the wall up behind them to reveal Don't a worry, big folks, just arsenal of sci-fi guns. Uh, all right, let's bring Rihanna Dylan in to the podcast. You're not going to slow me down on this, are you? Slow you down? Whose brain's working on outdated software? Why don't you go grab us some coffee while I do this? Oh, sure thing. How you take it? Black couple cubes to kiss my ass? I don't know what's in there. I don't want you to get hurt, so step back. Hey, okay, for real, man, open the damn locker. the man who would be king of the train locker. Don't you understand what you thought? She wouldn't come again. Leave you hanging without bringing you the fun again. Hang, tangle in with the alien scum again. Mind your manners or the black suit's running in. And nod your head, because Rihanna Dillon is back on Rambling <laughs> and Amblin' Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back, Rihanna. Oh my goodness. You went very, <laughs> <laughs> you went very partridge towards the end there. And <laughs> nod your head. Nod your head. <laughs> that was phenomenal. Thank you so much for that. Can you just come and be like my hype man every time I'm on stage? That would be brilliant. absolutely. As long as like my only my only caveat is that it always has to be a a, a rejig of the lyrics to Black Suits Coming Out Your Head. Oh, so, so not Will Smith's Uber in general, just no, specifically not. Nod, nod I'm okay with it. Uh, you rambling fans will remember uh, Rihanna from our episode on how to make an American quilt. Uh, and we've we've invited you back for uh, something that's decidedly not quite so grounded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for yes, yes, go on. <laughs> for our episode on Men in Black too. Um, thank you for coming back. Um, we're sorry we've given you another. <laughs> you're not. You're not sorry at all. Entry. Absolutely. <laughs> you don't care. You don't care what you want me to do. <laughs> I'm professional, you know. <laughs> too, too professional like and pro- too nice to us as well. <laughs> <laughs> we like bringing people along for the ride, even when it's uh, not not quite as, shall we say, um, the finest cuts from the, uh, <laughs> the Ablin Entertainment household. <laughs> but I, I think the first question to you, Rano, has to be, what is your previous connection to the franchise as a whole, Men in Black, forgetting the Men in Black two of it all. What's what can you remember about first meeting I, Men in Black? I loved Men in Black one so much, which is why I asked to come on and talk about it, and then you said no. Someone's already done that. You can have the second one. Um, I I think it was just I just hadn't ever seen anything like that before, and it hit me at like exactly the right time. 
what I was was it 98 97 it came out so I was sort of like it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like I was eight nine and uh it was I just was blown away blown away by how funny it was um and I think at that age a little bit naughty as well mm. um mm-hmm. and just the just pure charisma of Will Smith up against the charisma vacuum that was Tommy Lee Jones just for I just found hysterical um and also the just how visual it all was I remember just being so terrified by you know the guy in the skin suit the cockroach like mm-hmm. that was like that haunted me for such a long time in like the best possible way mm. you know like I I do go on about this a lot but how kids films aren't scary enough anymore there is something that is so brilliant about being scared in that way as a child um and i was it technically 12 men in black i can't remember now it was pg PG? okay yeah i I imagine if it came out now probably it It pushes that pg it does yeah um but i'm glad it did because it it was Mm -hmm. you know quite an early exposure for me of genuine sort of like horror sci-fi and yeah. i think it contributed a lot to my love of sci-fi generally i think it mm-hmm. you know that it has a lot to answer for um in terms of where your imagination can take you and you see like moments of that in men in black too but but really really small short moments <laughs> which is such a shame because you know the scope was there yeah um, but I think just the the world that it opened up in terms of aliens mm-hmm. and other galaxies and I, you know, and the way that it sort of tricked you as an audience member, which it sort of does again in the second one. Um, I just was enthralled by it the first time mm. I saw it and always have been. If If Men in Black is on TV, I will always stop and watch it. Yeah, don't mind. Yes. It's very hard to not <laughs> yeah, you can't flick by that, can you? <laughs> so do you remember, were you excited at the prospect of a sequel in 2002 when this was uh, being released? Yeah, I would have been. Because again, that you know, it would have still been in my consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would have still been young enough to, you know, be at home. Be excited about seeing it with my dad, probably. Who mm. also, I think, really loved the first one. Um, so yeah, I... I it was just like brilliant, more of the same. And to be honest, like, I probably did like enjoy Men in Black Two the first time I saw it because it it does it's childish, it's silly, um, but I don't. It, I never really, it never ever held the the rewatch factor for me, which is why it had mm. been so many years since I I've seen it. I've seen it a couple <laughs> of times since, and there's so much that I'd forgotten or blurred out, and you know when it just starts creeping back, and yeah. even in my head, yeah. it was it was better than what it actually is which is such a shame it's such a shame when it's that way round like please no (laughs) please be a treasure let me reclaim you oh yeah but then i don't think i saw try and remember what happened in the third film because i think by that point i never go to the 60s i don't really remember that at all i don't know if i even saw that and i didn't haven't seen the one with tessa thompson and chris hemsworth Mm. either Mm -hmm. um so i I could think I think two killed my buzz. Men of Black two, it burned too many bridges. It really did. <laughs> so sad, isn't it? When you have like such a beloved childhood film. Yeah. yeah. What about you guys? Did you have a similar thing? Yeah, I, I, it wasn't one I saw in the cinema, but it was one of the very first DVDs mm. I ever had. Bumper two so discs. Yeah, Set that one. so was it, it was very much getting through. It was like 
going through all the special features on it was like a big thing for me when mm. I was watching it back as a kid. So like, and for the simple matter of being for a while, it was one of only like three DVDs I had for our DVD player. It did get watched a lot. Um, <laughs> it was that, Spider-Man and Triple X. <laughs> <laughs> What a trio. What a trio. But even then, as a a not too discerning um, nine-year-old, there was just a niggling sense that something wasn't quite Mm. right with this (laughs) one. (laughs) Yeah. I think I was... I think I was kind of the same. I was, was, what, eight, eight, nine, nine going on ten at the time. And... I think I was still um, ill-equipped at <laughs> distinguishing good from bad. Mm. I don't even know if I knew the films could be bad at that point yet. Yeah. And uh, I was so excited for the second one because I loved the first one so much. Like you say, because mm. it had that scary factor that was mm. it was kind of like almost a forbidden fruit and you watched yeah. it and thought, ooh, should I, I, be, watching I should be watching this? this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I rewatched the first one before the second uh, just so I could say the first was my favourite film so that when the second was better inevitably that would now become my favorite film <laughs> and i yeah. did that i saw the second and said yeah my, my favorite film it's great but even when i was saying it as a as a nine-year-old i knew that i didn't mean it i knew that i was being a bit disingenuous because there is there, even then there was a, a hollow synthetic taste to large parts of the film um so i like you andy i got it on <laughs> i got it on dvd as well and watched it many many times <laughs> and I think I do think that to a degree I tricked myself into thinking mm. I liked it more than I did. Yeah. Um, did you see it in the cinema? Yeah. It strikes me as something that Josh saw it in Crystal cinema. Peak Cinema with my dad. Oh. <laughs> did it have the Chub Chub short film? I on truly don't remember. I really, really don't <laughs> this, remember. This is just one thing that's really hooked into my <laughs> cultural memory of Men in Black Two is the short animated <laughs> film on the DVD that was added on the theatrical cut because they had to. Bo- it was so short they had to bolster no. the showtime. So. I saw a line and that film won about an Oscar. this. <laughs> what the short film won an Oscar? No, yeah, the I did see a line about the chub chubs, and I just like skip past it because I was like, I don't, I don't know what that's referring to. I, de- I definitely don't, I don't care to know. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's that's awful. I really, I really enjoy just saying the chub chubs. <laughs> <laughs> are the chub chubs the little locker guys, or are they whole new creatures? They're whole new creatures. Oh. They've got nothing to do with. Uh, Men in Black. It's, uh, it's just something that it's like a Disney short where they go. just like uh-huh. bolt on another <laughs> story. <in> front. Okay. <laughs> I always thought they were locker guys. I-, I would like to see more yeah. of those locker guys. Yeah. Talk about the locker guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, One of many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where do we start then? Do we start? Do we start with the locker guys? We could. We could start with the absolute <laughs> highlight of the film. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> start on a high note it's a yeah so, Rihanna let's talk locker guys <laughs> I <laughs> this is one of the scenes that has always stood out in my memory as just being like one of the yeah. for some reason one of the greatest scenes I don't think just in Men in Black 2 of all time um, yeah. <laughs> because just the, the the idea of like we could be in we could be in a locker which they which they you know mm-hmm. make a joke of at the end of Mm. The, the film in its entirety but the idea of like a whole world a whole species 
just could be in any part of our lives without us being aware of it. I loved that idea and the and how yeah. what they would what this community what this species would build a world around and in this mm. it's a video <laughs> yeah, yeah. card um like a loyalty card or something uh and a watch and they all hailed this god Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Um, it was just so so stupid, but so funny, yeah. and I love. I I just really liked it. I just think that they did a great job with creating the aliens because I think mm. the trouble with this film is that we don't get memorable enough aliens in it. Mm. Um, the one that everyone remembers is the Balchinian, and not for the uh, yeah. right reasons. This <laughs> Balchinian. Okay, he's a Balchinian. <laughs> Um, and killed I, as a kid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god testicles um, so it was, you know that was yeah hysterical when you're nine and then as an adult you're like oh my goodness they put this in a grown up film um, yeah. but then there aren't really that many others um, yeah. that I just loved watching and those are all kind of I don't know they almost look like Star Wars creatures yeah. don't they built for a guy yeah <laughs> it is funny because it's kind of it's kind of um and I, I do i hate to invoke this property because of the rabid fans but i show anyway it's kind of uh rick and morty light mm. that whole beat about the guys in the in the and there's also the similar bit when k touches that sphere and it turns out it's a whole underwater oh God, civilization yes. that he's oh it's lost <laughs> yeah and they're both very rick and morty style beats That's but so true. i think quite a bit gentler yeah and again, uh, I, I think both of those bits speak to like a wider issue that's kind of going on with this film. They're, they're quite reflective of bits that you liked from the yeah. first one. So like even like the finger in the globe is um, mirrors the bouncy ball that Will Smith sets off in the middle mm. of MIB lab when he's first going around there. The locker aliens are very much, um, I guess, just like be, like kind of what the worms sort of operated as in the in the original, just like you open a door and suddenly there's like, oh, this is weird, <laughs> and this is an element that exists in this world, and that is for me the the core of this film is that 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 kind of lazy sequel mm. issue of let's just pick bits that people seem to really respond to, amplify oh. it um, without really kind of understanding what the initial pill was and try to retroactively recapture the chemistry. Oh. Or like, uh, as the lethal weapon taglines would put it, put the magic back. <laughs> <laughs> and and for me, this kind of like that the whole enterprise kind of crumbles on that very idea of you leave off the first film in quite a nice tidy area with like Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, and it has the sequel then has to work hard to be like, how do we get the two characters mm-hmm. that people responded to mm. and worked so well together? the last time how do we get them yeah. back in a fashion that's going to operate to allow us to do the same thing again so i guess uh what are your thoughts on the kind of rewriting mm. of agent k's happy ending to get him back in the fold disentangling it <laughs> is a bit, yeah it is uh, it's, it's pretty labored isn't it i i like the mm. idea of revisiting him and seeing him in the post office and the hmm. fact that he's working with aliens and all of that, you know, that was really fun. The beatboxing scene um, is, I think I liked that. Uh, but yeah. what 
big trailer moment. Yeah, <laughs> sort of, yeah, exactly. You get through like maybe 50 minutes of the film and you realise that nothing has happened. I think up until that point, all they've been doing is getting Tommy Lee Jones yeah. out of retirement. And it's like 20 minutes. And then it's yeah. five, minutes. I literally paused it because Mike walked into the room and uh, and then I was like, oh, it must have just started. And I was like, no, we're over halfway through. And, it, and it's just the idea that they're trying so hard to recreate this chemistry and and yet it, the whole the funny thing is is flipping it right to make jay yeah. be the sort of jaded one and mm. you know he's fed up of all of these like young up and comers because guy. he's not you know he lo- he of course loves loved working with Kay despite that you know that mm. curmudgeonly sort of relationship um but there was real chemistry there and he doesn't have that with any of his new partners but really that's not necessarily what we want to see will smith do he that's not like yeah. why we would flock to go and see a will smith movie or at least it wasn't in the 90s or the early noughties um and so that it kind of leaves us a little bit frustrated and then when Tommy Lee jones does come back into it again he's just very straight down the line mm. but there isn't there now they're both just being a bit straight and there isn't a huge mm. amount of hilarity until a little bit later on and hilarity is yeah. pushing it mm. so it's it's kind of like they don't re- they didn't really know what to do once they had Tommy Lee Jones who is filling that role of the straight man because they they're sort of both filling it and there are like mm. there is a really nice bit when um Will Smith is like neuralizes the people on the train and then he just starts ranting at them and then he has to neuralize <laughs> yeah, them again because yeah. he's like gone off and I can't, I like that I you know that yeah. feels quite in keeping <laughs> with Agent J it's that quite, feels like it's quite a new dynamic as well though it's quite it's setting up something yeah. that's potentially quite interesting yeah and then it just doesn't really and then and then you when you're back in the car and Kay's driving and suddenly he's falling all over the place and you're like oh this is just what happened yeah. in the first film mm-hmm. and now you're doing that again except this time he's landing on a yeah on Rosario Dawson instead so they could have a little bit of <laughs> genital to genital action while keeping it PG. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, it's it is lazy. Lazy is absolutely the yeah. word. It's mm. such a shitty uh, inclination for a sequel to spend so much shoe leather just undoing the resolution yeah. of the first one so you can reset yeah. the status quo. It's it's kind of like uh, TV in that it's it's all sort of middle and it's all sustaining a status quo. Yeah, I, I, I did want to bring something up. It's not my idea, and I will credit the original uh, thinkers of it. Um, do you know the podcast Blank Check, Rihanna? No, I don't. It's um, it's with Griffin Newman and David Simpson that they they work through uh, filmographers and filmmakers and uh, franchises, and they speak a lot about Men in Black, particularly Men in Black Two. And they've got a pitch for what the sequel could have been. That whenever I think about it, it annoys me that they didn't go with that because <laughs> you've got to get Will Smith go and on. Tommy Lee Jones together again. These guys on the podcast, they posit that instead of having the whole rigmarole of denuralizing K, you keep K as a man who's been neuralized and mm. who's gotten out, and he so he keeps his happy ending with his wife, but he now finds himself at the center of some kind of alien invasion. So Jay has to go and protect K, who, even though they, to Jay they've got all this shared history, K remembers none of this. So now you've got that dynamic. You get them back together again, but it's a whole new mm. imbalance. And I think that's such a such a better idea than what they actually go with. Yeah, because we get that for all of five seconds, right? When yeah, 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 in the post office, and then immediately it's just Mm -hmm. explained away, and then Tommy Lee just follows him, which I don't think Tommy Lee Jones would do. 
Mm. I don't think Kay would yeah. do that. Um, yeah, you're right. That would have been, or they're right, that would have been really mm. different. Um, mm-hmm. It's a wasted opportunity. I know. It's just, it's the cruelty of just t- tossing away his whole character arc in one line. That's why she left you. Yeah. That's yeah, all like, we get. Ah, yeah. That's it. Punch in the face. Especially because he was so on, you know. It was like his dream at the end. It wasn't just like a, he's retired, let's put him out of action. It was all building to this moment of, you've done your time and this is your payment. And then it's like, we're just going to take that payment back. Because fuck you. At the end of this movie, Kay says to Jay, thanks for bringing me back. No! That's not it! (laughs) You weren't happy! (laughs) Left for a reason. I know, it's it's quite Stockholm syndrome isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even that kind of, I think, attempt to like reheat the the microwave dinner is also present in the the villain of the piece as well because we've effectively got exactly the same plot. Mm. Villain comes down to find MacGuffin to kill rival alien race, but this time it's a plant <laughs> <laughs> and a woman <laughs> and a woman, <laughs> and I like. One of my favourite parts of the film is like the the opening stretch where you get the kind of silly Peter Graves uh, di like sixties <laughs> um, cases it's of brilliant. the Men in Black tape. Yeah, lot of fun. Puts you on really good footing. Such a good and conceit, also that, like, right? Like to start yeah. us off. <laughs> yeah, puts you in that kind of conspiracy mindset as well, and it's in that nice kind of sixties um, um, stylings as well that matches a lot of what we're kind of like a lot of the production design does in these movies mm. and then that uh evolves into like the kind of the opening credits and the what i think is a strong gag uh, and i love it when um you think a really big thing turns out to be a really small <laughs> thing gag in a film with selena's spaceship being revealed to be tiny <laughs> when she crash lands in central yeah. park and you get this like very very well designed and accomplished cg shot of the tentacles coming out and slowly forming into the form of Lara Flynn Boyle and from that I'm kind of like okay we're we're laying down the we're we're setting the plates up pretty pretty well here and then as soon as we kind of get into the actual plot drive of it and Selena ends up not really having much of a kind of presence in the film in the same way like say like Egg of the Bug did and Mm. The way the plot then kind of just moves on from just kind of finding a, a deliberately vague MacGuffin is feels very shot in the dark and trying to have something to hook the re- reuniting um, subplot on, yeah. all the while having uh, Johnny Knoxville as a comedy release. <laughs> to <two laughs> Johnny, Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> I don't like, big fan of Johnny Knoxville otherwise, but that doesn't quite do it for me. I watched a PG family comedy. Before watching this, I watched the other film that Sonnenfeld made in 2002, a film called Big Trouble. Have you seen that, Rihanna? <laughs> no, I haven't. It's kind of like uh, Elmore Leonard light caper, and it's kind of like. It, 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 it is to get shorty what uh, Wild Wild West is to Men in Black. It is that much lesser um, simulacrum. But Knoxville's in that too. He's in a double act with Tom Seesmore. And oh, I just wonder that what was Sonnenfeld a huge Jackass fan <laughs> or something like that? Because he seemed, he, he was very keen on the board. I mean, he was, Knoxville was quite, I guess around this time, this is when they're like, kids like this, mm. like teens and kids like this Jackass stuff. Yeah. 
we need to get him in somewhere. <laughs> it's almost took off, right? Because he had, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on, Josh. No, it's like he was in a John Waters movie a couple of years after this, yeah. Dirty Shame, and he was in Dukes of Hazard. He very nearly, <laughs> yeah. they were trying to make him happen, but he just didn't quite. Never quite happened. No. But also, no. I've read somewhere that Robert Downey Jr. auditioned for that role and Keanu mm. Reeves. And I'm, I don't know if I believe that. It seems so wild and so, like, left... Yeah, it seems really Yeah, wild. left field. Like, it's just... But he clearly does love working, because I think Patrick Warburton... I've just had a quick look. Patrick Warburton is also mm. in that um, in the film we just mentioned. Big, Big Trouble. Trouble. Uh, he plays a dumb cop. Right. <laughs> As opposed to, like, a dumb men in black agent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how was he the best of the best yeah. of the best? How did he get in here? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Poor Jeff, the worm. Um, yeah. I, I love Patrick Warburton's voice. It makes me so happy, though. Like Mike oh, and I just I go, it. "Hello, Peter. It's okay, Peter." <laughs> yeah. Every time he comes on screen. <laughs> um, oh, squeaky, squeak, squeak, squeaker. Yeah, Cronk is one of my favourite impressions. <laughs> my spirit puffs. <laughs> Save them. <laughs> Patrick Warburton has got one of the best. Um, Expressions in the game, I think. Yeah. This is like two or three reaction <laughs> shots in this film that did, so gormless. It did yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I do love that bit. It's like, do you ever look at the stars? I think we're alone in the universe. It's like, yes. <laughs> 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 um, it's interesting you're saying about the the opening because I do I agree with you that the opening is super is really strong and it's such a mm. good way of doing exposition without doing exposition. Um, yeah, which I love absolutely. and they have a, a bit of a joke later at Steven Spielberg's expense which I enjoyed and I thought you might because you know Amblin and all that <laughs> looks like yeah. Spielberg's <laughs> yeah. um, but like after Laura Flynn Boyle um, appears because she's and she's just ripped isn't she from a, mm. a double spread as an underwear model is it like Victoria's Secrets or something mm. that's right um, yeah. she's immediately uh, taken hostage by a potential yes. rapist in the park and that just mm-hmm. sets the tone for mm-hmm. this film. It's like around every corner there is a man ready to assault a woman in some way or another, mm. whether it's yeah. verbally, whether it's having a joke. I mean, like later, Agent J says to Rosario Dawson's character, mm-hmm. um, don't fall asleep when you're with the worms. Because what? They're gonna oh, rape yeah, her as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, like, he leaves the her f- in the care it's... of Yes. Like, sexually threatening beings that's the like, button to a scene in yes, a kids movie and this keeps happening yeah. all There's the way through that. and that's like a, i think a real yeah. push between 90s and noughties it's like that sort of that nastier humor mm. is starting to come through very much at the expense mm. of a woman and the fact that the fact yeah. that that's literally the first thing that happened i mean you know maybe it's maybe it's yeah. really smart commentary maybe it's you know you're a beautiful woman this is the first thing that's going to happen to you if you arrive on earth <laughs> you know that is that's the mm. thing and the joke is that she ends up yeah. killing him great but it's the fact that he like licks her first <laughs> as well like holds a knife to her face licks yeah, her yeah. and that's within like three seconds drags her behind a bush and you're watching it going hold on this is not quite in keeping with yeah. the the sort of the the jokey bantery humor that we've come to expect and then it just sort of kind of keeps going and gets worse so i don't that's what i really dislike yeah. about this yeah. film it's how sleazy it is it's got is... a really like kind of vile bile yeah aftertaste in the mouth when uh and because you're right like that then sets a tone of like a lot of that kind of humor throughout where it's just wherever it can it will do like the cheapest yes. kind of 
double entendre or sex yeah. joke that it can, and it's like that wasn't the humor in the no. But I think if, let's let's <laughs> trace the lineage from Linda Fiorentino in the first to we spoke very highly of in the episode. I don't know if you remember Rihanna that performance frame. I, do. I much, really do because um, I was always gutted. Um, like I think so many yeah. Men in Black fans were <laughs> that she wasn't yeah, in the second. Yeah. And and, and uh, did For you? Sure. Do- Oh, yeah, the well, cartoon. I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't really yeah. watch the cartoons, but I re- was reading up about it for this, and you know, she mm. sounded like a real fan favorite. The Agent L, L, mm. yeah, yeah, mm. for sure. Agent L, yeah, yeah, she's awesome, and she was never. I mean, th- there were jokes about Queen of the Undead vibe, and there were jokes about you know ne- necrophilia and stuff, but she always felt in control within mm-hmm. that context in the film. Her character felt in control of that kind of humor, and never felt like the the. You know, the victim yeah. or the butt of any jokes she felt like. Mm. Um, but then, if you if you compare that to even the production notes around this film and how they talk about Linda Fiorentino difficult being woman. difficult, and that's why yeah. she wasn't brought back. Yeah, and that attitude, the I, I, I you know, we don't can only speculate as to what it was that meant she didn't come back, but something clearly happened, and it. Yeah. It, it seems to have filtered down into the film's mm. perspective on women, and and there seems to be something, something has changed in between the two, and mm-hmm. I just think reading those comments about her being difficult, and then seeing how the film presents Laura Flynn Boyle immediately in this, and and how it you know, well yeah, and even the way happens. that they don't give Rosario Dawson much to hang on to at all. I, yeah. th- this must be one of the first things I would have seen her, yeah. in, and she's giving a very earnest yes. and quite likable performance throughout the whole thing like i think like one of the more affecting bits is when she's like uh there's that scene where jade decides not to neuralize her because he's quite touched by her reaction to this news and the sense that she uh, i think the lines like ever since yeah. we were kids we looked up to the stars and had that sense um but uh, i think it's an issue that the film then uses that as a whole crux to hook a love story mm. on that is otherwise pretty non-existent and she's for who ends up being a character is incredibly pivotal to the plot just has zero to do beyond being put in the care of sexually threatening and playing twister with them and being quite okay about it and, mm. yeah yeah it's an yeah. it's yeah. an odd it's odd it's very bizarre yes, for this to it is it's, it's a really <laughs> odd choice but she is great in it and but it's so sad that she doesn't it's mm. such a waste mm. of her talent knowing especially now what she can do yeah. but then i think she's so yeah. she's yeah. so fresh-faced doesn't she and you know quite naive and quite sheltered mm. um and i don't i didn't get that impression from laura lara what was the i'm getting confused now what was the name of agent l in the first one they're all called laurel was it laurel oh boy um they're all called laurel laura, laura or lara in men in black basically <laughs> but anyway agent l like before she became agent l yeah she was very right laurie no sorry no that's the name of the producer <laughs> oh no an extra l has entered the game <laughs> very, very in control of her own destiny and rosario dawson is just sort of led yeah. um wherever she has mm. to go and and has has no sense of control yeah. especially especially given what sort of comes out at the end which we need to we you need have to, talk to leave about this planet this. <laughs> Yes, you yeah. have to leave this planet with three seconds notice. Go away. But also... <laughs> yeah. Make a decision now and the decision is yes. also the idea that Kay is potentially her dad. 
which to her f- mm. father. Yeah, right. That's so that how is I've not read how I read it particularly i just thought he was very fond of her mother because you see the mother and you see tommy lee jones and you think there is no fucking way that they would have put this like 20 year old actress with this 60 year old man and made it legit and and yet you're like oh no it is hollywood um but it just didn't cross my mind that that was a thing i just thought he was so fond of her mother and so that did pass down that he was very fond of her by proxy you know uh, maybe had set her up in this comfortable mm-hmm. setting but not any further than that josh did you get that that he was supposed to be the dad <laughs> i i thought well, I, I i'm not sure because i watched it with my partner dommy and when it got to that bit she went daddy and i i hadn't <laughs> prior to that it's because it's like it rains because you're sad baby and then there's that slow shot on I her face i think that's face such that a sweet tender like, line oh, though oh. i think tommy lee jones does that really <laughs> beautifully he, he, really but but i just thought that was genuinely like avuncular love not like fatherly love you know yeah Mm. i think i fall somewhere in between i hadn't really thought about it until dummy said that but then when she did i thought oh well i guess it kind of makes sense but then it's so tossed off and i know sonnenfeld's a very (laughs) you know brief efficient storyteller wrap it up (laughs) (laughs) yeah finish 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 finish. um which this film does so aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say one more thing about Rosario Dawson now. I think she's very, mm. very good at retaining dignity mm. and making bullshit seem charming. Because I always think about yeah. how fucking good she is in Clerks too, when she somehow sells a romantic interest in Brian O'Holloran, <laughs> the dude who plays Dante. Not seen it either. It's Herculean, the right. effort she puts in. It's, I don't think you'd appreciate the okay. sexual politics. No, I think that's probably why I've avoided it's not it. not <laughs> particularly fresh. Yeah. But she's very good and very charming, and she does a very similar thing here. She somehow, like, the shot of her playing mm. Twister with the things, it's, it's gross in context. She pulls it off. She just feels so yeah. effervescent, and, and she's got I such a charm really true. and dignity. She, um, her and Will Smith, like, her and Jade, do have a connection, but it's, it's kind of unclear, apart from just how beautiful she is. And that line that she says, mm. where that can, mm. how that connection can grow, because he seems so low and devastated when she leaves. But at that point, yeah. they've mm. really only spoken like two or three times, and in yeah, it's supposed to be like two days. Yeah. But it's like potential it's not like... <laughs> flying to another planet. Um, and I, I'm always yeah. a bit disappointed by that. And I wonder because Will Smith later on you know like in hitch when he has chemistry with someone it works so Mm. well and it's a shame that we don't Mm. get to see that develop because that's kind of taken away from us in the first film and and then and then it's Mm. taken away from us in the second one and it's like this desexualization of will smith it's like he's not allowed to have a sexual partner which is just kind of sad when the whole you've you've kind of forced this Mm. subplot onto us without any um Mm. I don't know without any ending or uh, yeah without yeah. any intention to see it through or to allow it to have more yes. scenes to make it feel because you're right they have chemistry when they do have those scenes that they have together and I, I it speaks to a frustration I think generally with Will Smith's performance in this and you spoke to it earlier as well where it's kind of his character stuck in that space of wanting it to feel like he's grown and uh, i think that kind of element of he's been very fickle and not attaching to a new partner is nice and interesting to kind of relay how jaded he's gotten in these five years or whatever it's been yeah. 
Um, but then it just tries to revert it, like just play into that kind of Will Smith mm. circa 97 playbook where it can with the ad libs or with just the uh, rookie banter with mm. Tommy Lee Jones where it's like there's no not really any sense to evolve evolve it beyond those initial dressings it's quicker to revert back to the status quo than it is to yes. actually push what that evolution might be into mm. interesting yes, exactly. places which is frustrating yeah, to say the least <laughs> <laughs> especially like you say because it's such a short film like there was room to do a bit more with it <laughs> yes. it's so weird I mean, but obviously we know that they had to retool the end a little bit in yes. the wake of 9-11 but take yeah. take a bit of time it's know? so weirdly written isn't yeah. it like the, all the narratives even then, are so weirdly mm, written yeah. and fr- like frustrating is the word because I guess because you have like you know these components <laughs> can work so brilliantly so how badly did yeah. you have yeah. to fuck it up for it to be this bad <laughs> yeah because yeah. so it's not like they exactly rushed to get this going it's five years yeah. <laughs> it's is, it is amazing it is like wild wild west just fundamentally broke sonnenfeld as a filmmaker all his sensibilities yeah he lost faith in because the run-up to that any, uh, is, is pretty undeniable apart from any big feelings on wild wild west around <laughs> this, this 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 is a film that weirdly comes up a lot on this podcast i think largely through josh glenn's book <laughs> no no i'm really not i think when we started the podcast it was late in 2020 so peak lockdown, and I had rewatched it in lockdown, and in the lockdown delirium, I, I was slightly more. I developed a sort of. Um, I'd softened a lot on a lot of those '90s blockbuster follies, purely because a lot of it's practical, and there's a lot more personality mm. behind them than the bad films of weird. today. So it's. I don't mm. like it, but I do have a slight, you know. Sympathy <laughs> towards it because it is just so weird in a way that films, bad films these days yeah. aren't really. It's been a long time mm-hmm. since I've seen that film and I did not enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I I did a double bill <laughs> for for this with Wild Wild West and Men in Black Two. I had a really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If anything, it might have made Men in Black Two look a bit better. <laughs> you, you, you like Men in Black Two more than Wild Wild West? Yes, I think I do. It's it's mm, it's not it's not much not in much it. I'll in grant it. you. Um, but better will dare I say it, a better Will Smith song in Men in Black Two? <laughs> no, you cut. That's mad. I think Andrew. I love Black Suits coming. I actually, quite, I think I agree. It's so good. Wiki Wawa? What? <laughs> but that's that the most is... overplayed, overplayed song. Like, whenever you hear it, you're like, I, this is one time too many. Like, w- with World War West. Whereas with Nod Your Head, you're kind of like, God, this is cheesy, but I can't, I'm kind of into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, I got the single to Nod Your Head in like, do you remember they used to do like, it was like SFX Magazine or DOD oh, yeah. Month weekly magazine and every now and again they'd come with like either like a weird a dvd with that just had like the pilot for the first episode of shogun from the 60s <laughs> or like a single <laughs> and there was one that had not yet <laughs> so that got played a lot pretty uh, <laughs> foundational for young andrew I, yeah and i love the fact that in the u.s it peaked at 77 <laughs> in the chart no. but, 
in the UK, it peaked at number three. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Will Smith. <laughs> that is shocking. <laughs> we were so starved of songs, clearly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I've just realised we've not even mentioned Frank. Ah. Ah, Frank. Again, symptomatic for, to me of the kind of issues inherent in this sequel yeah. of like, what's a thing that people thought was funny the last yeah. time? Why don't we give them, give them more. exact same thing. ten times more <laughs> yeah. screen time? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's played by the same dog. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> which I think is quite cute. Fair play to. <laughs> It reminded me a lot of, you know, um, in Ghostbusters 2, there's a whole thing about Rick Moranis' character finally gets to wear the suit and become one of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. And there's just a little bit too much of him. Yeah. He, was, he worked yeah. perfectly well, was, in the because small he, doses he was of the never in the Men in Black. He was just an alien. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So you bring him into this one. Finally, he gets a suit and he gets to sing I Will Survive and all that yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even the Good bloody worm guys get to tool to up fair, later yeah. on. It's very much a film of giving us little one scene characters. Yeah, yeah, far too much airtime. It's such, a, and yeah. Tony Shalhoub comes back as the mm. the alien that Jeez. gets his head shot off multiple times. Which <laughs> yeah. again, fun, really funny in the first film, but then once you've seen it like another <laughs> yeah. two times, yeah, there was to me, to me that's like something to what you were saying. Sorry, uh, uh, to like. It, that feels like a missed opportunity to introduce a new yeah. character design for a new yes. alien yeah. that furthers the world rather than just retreat further back into another pre-existing Yeah, like old fan you know, favourites. People seem to respond. It's, it feels mm. quite patronising, yeah. <laughs> doesn't it, to be like, oh, mm. when because you loved this one so much the first time when we were really creative, we're not going to bother being creative again. We're just going to give you the old thing again. Yeah. It just feels like this is a way of really talking down to your audience and instead yeah. of like furthering mm. their passion, just feeding more of the Feed same. The yeah, smoke. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so... It's so... Um, it's just crap filmmaking, um, and yeah. it it's just sort of undeserving, I think, of especially when you have like the talent mm. involved, mm. and you could be doing so much. And I do, you know, I think Tony Shalhoub is brilliant. That's not to say, you know, I didn't, yeah, but I I didn't need to see all of that happening again. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that was all. <laughs> <laughs> I've just learned that the dog that played Frank was called Mushu. Mushu. <laughs> From Mulan. Yeah, wow. it's spelt the same way and everything as well. Mushu Wowie. the pug. <laughs> what do we think about another returning actor, but not yeah. playing the same character? Uh, and that is David Cross. Mr. Oh. Show's David Cross. <laughs> a very strange scene. <laughs> oh my god, I know. He and at the end, character... doesn't he kill his mum? Yeah. It's heavily Such implied. A dog, <laughs> Isn't it? Oh my god, Mom. Picking up, picking up a shovel I... from his bedroom, sure. <laughs> you want some pizza rolls? <laughs> I do, I, I do like enjoy... bagels, but she puts cheese on them. <laughs> I, think, I, I think he... He he is very much of that late 90s Gen X alternative humour thing that the first one taps into. And seeing him come back, the film kind of to me, anyway, I've always quite liked that scene. And, it, and it, to me, it gets a little bit of that energy. Uh, not as successfully, but I do quite like the stretch that he comes in. Mm. I like the... I really like yeah. the... <laughs> I really like the bit in the pizzeria when Jay is following 
the thing like he, what he thinks oh, of yes. signs and <laughs> yeah. things pointing. I think that's that, I think that's maybe the funniest bit of the film. Anchovies and extra virgin olive oil. That's good. Who stacks pizza boxes like yes. this? <laughs> and that all culminates all... in because that sequence includes a locker bit as well, and it all culminates in the scene at uh, David yeah. Cross's yeah. house. And I do like I do like that that. Like when it reflects on the the tacky movie yeah. that's already opening, and again, Tommy Lee Jones is really selling yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like the kind of like the the heartache and the pathos of it for him is it's raw. And yeah, it hurts. <laughs> he's good in it. He's Tommy <laughs> Jones is quite good in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what, what yeah, do you guys think of that whole? Yeah, that sort of piecing together of a memory that even Cade had hidden from himself, and and the wacky characters we meet on the way. What did you guys think? Of it's it? sort of satisfying because it's um, it that feels like a like a genuine bit of narrative as opposed mm. to just loads yeah. of different things shoehorned in. This is something. There's a sequence that we can follow. We can go from yeah. A to B. Um, so for that reason, it's it's it genuinely is satisfying. Um, I don't. I've always disliked David Cross as an actor. I don't know why. Oh, just, really? just gives me like <laughs> gross vibes. And I, just, it. it's quite I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, I quite. It's funny the the fact that he is a conspiracy theorist who's actually hit on something that he his conspiracy is true. Um, that's always quite entertaining. Like throughout history, that's always been a funny thing. Um, but I just I find him quite repugnant to watch, and I always have been everything like Arrested Development, like everything. Um, so I don't yeah. think I ever fully enjoy a scene with David Cross. In. Um, I find him quite repugnant to watch. <laughs> what? <laughs> Imagine reading that in a review. <laughs> I'm sure he has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. The, the the sort of like back and I think the the bit you were just talking about, like in the pizzeria, you know, it is it is really funny. But like even like with the anchovy line, like afterwards, mm. that I always feel like there needs to be a little comeback. And there mm. just isn't like there always feels like there needs to be like one more line to really like solidify mm. this as a great like bit of repartee or, or like a really memorable bit of dialogue. Mm. And it's just always lacking. Like it always just falls a little bit flat for me every time in mm. this film between Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. And it's like they haven't quite got mm-hmm. the the balls, the Bolchinians to to like <laughs> fully commit <laughs> to the snark. And yeah. do you know what I mean? I, I yeah, I have that yeah. quite a lot with this. I felt that there were quite a few pauses where they just kept the camera on Tommy Lee's Tommy Lee Jones's face, and it's like he just didn't have a line to say. And so then they just moved on. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. They, yeah. yeah, that happened like about four or five times in this, where he just he kind of reacts, but he Pours doesn't from react. Laughter. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a reaction, reaction shot, but he doesn't know how to do that because he's a brick wall and. So it's just looking at a brick wall, which was maybe funny in the first film. But I'm sure he had more yeah. like, f- like funnier dialogue in the first film. Yeah, again, that's yeah. another element that's just missing. Yeah. The dialogue is just nowhere to scuff. Like to elements we've kind of spoken about, the approach to humour is much broader. It's much luder. It's much more crass, and even to, um, like, a lot of the writing in this, from what I understood and my reading of it, was the. The guy who wrote Galaxy Quest wrote the first draft, oh, and then yeah. they brought a guy in to pepper it with like yes. pop culture references, and I, and I'm imagining through that just adds those kind of like slightly broader jokes that like, and by all accounts, I don't think uh, I think Robert Robert Gordon's the writer's name, and like Galaxy Quest, like 
a fine yeah. piece of like screenwriting that is such a tight screenplay and so i imagine to kind of like and it makes so much sense to bring him in for something like this and to and by all accounts he was not happy with like this rewrite that ended mm. up happening on top of his screen i would not have been either um <laughs> Don't associate no. this shit with me. <laughs> but that, that that one line, which actually is really funny, is the about the car where they have like the faux agent <laughs> in the front seat, and he's and then Will yeah. Smith just like ad libs. Actually, it came with a black dude, but he kept getting pulled over. Is like is a is a really smart little commentary, which could only have come from Will Smith. Like a white writer would not have thought yeah. to write that. Um. So I, yeah. yeah, that's a good line, which I'm glad they kept in because it works. Absolutely. I think I read somewhere that like I don't know if it was Sonnenfeld or even Smith who was like ended up being quite annoyed at the marketing team because every trailer trailer, ended with that line and they were like please don't it's the best best one we can (laughs) (laughs) also the Michael Jackson cameo oh last last film appearance (laughs) yeah oh wow i'd never appreciated that <laughs> it's like you get the on-screen one and then you get the phone call later oh, Do you remember when geez, he's like yeah agent said i could become oh it's so horrible agent m <laughs> so horrible I could be agent m <laughs> it's weird this film does feel much more um uh it feels more like a, an exercise in synergy because you have the Michael Jackson Ma- mm. Michael Jackson cameo. You have uh, noticeable like Burger King placement and the Mercedes placement, yeah. a fucking PlayStation Two controller in the car because yeah, it's a Sony yeah. movie. Obviously, yes. it just feels much more like a corporate product. Right down to how it, you guys may have just mentioned this because I, I had to quickly pop out, but that humor-wise feels a bit like a like yeah. a Nickelodeon cartoon. It's mm. oh, like a Nickelodeon yeah. live action series, and it all just feels like corporate synergy <laughs> in, yeah. in a way. The first one seems to be, you know, too, far too hip to, to yeah. really. Yeah, and even to. like something I really love about the first one, and is a main reason why I think it works, is it has this kind of grungy mm. aesthetic to it, where it feels quite dirty and it feels quite grimy. Um, this is a lot more shot like it's a cartoon mm. even to the point where the action all of a sudden characters can seemingly do like high wire kung fu which was never an element we were introduced to in the when first one Zed jumps up and starts going like where's that come from <laughs> but also from afar so that really you know we're it's definitely not rick torn who's doing <laughs> <laughs> the kicking <laughs> Because he would definitely have ripped and torn. Yeah, he would have done. Yeah, poor Laura Flynn boy wouldn't have stood a chance. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. But also, I read. Um, I can't remember if it was Roger Ebert who who said in his review at the time, um, that the special effects were good. And it's so it's so funny <laughs> hearing that hearing the word good in the same sentence as special effects when it comes to Men in Black too, because it is one of the most appalling examples of that like <laughs> shitty shitty period of computer graphics mm. which have not held up 
at all mm. at least definitely not yeah. on my tv screen um and it just so immediately takes you out of it that's why it doesn't have the rewatch value and that you know like practical effects are so vital in filmmaking because they add the, to the longevity of a film mm. and just seeing mm-hmm. like a graphic worm eating a subway carriage is not nearly as <laughs> fun as seeing like you know even like a miniature one eating a miniature train like Mm. that that they could have done it with yeah it would have been so much better and more effective and more frightening i think that was supposed to be Mm. genuinely frightening and it just is not at all because you don't for one minute believe that worm is there um yeah Mm. i don't know if you guys have the same issue that i do i agree it's the same with selena as well like inherently it's a character design that ultimately is a bit too complex to have ever, I imagine, to have attempted trying to do that tentacled mm. beast version of her in practical. So it just ends up being quite a glossy CGI effect. And that, like, like to be fair to them, that I think that's where they keep most of their uh, the the big bucks and the and the the main animators to work it out. I think that's probably the most successful, at least mm. CG effect. But even then, it's less it's less interesting yeah. just seeing. A bunch of CGI tentacles yes. thrown about. <laughs> the rest of it somehow looks worse than the original. When Jeebs' head grows back, that looks worse yeah. than it does in the first yeah. one. Yeah, it's really strange. Yeah, and the uh, mm-hmm. Knoxville's second head—it looks, looks grey or something. You know, it just is a, its like <laughs> yeah. color yeah. graded in a different way to the rest of the yeah. film. It's just Odd. weird. <laughs> He's like, you are not in the. No. <laughs> and that bit, you know, that, that that tall guy that for some reason's got a vendetta against Jay. Then he takes his coat off during their big showdown, and it's a bunch of little smaller guys on flying oh, yes. saucers. Yeah, that bit makes me nauseous. I, I really don't like <laughs> the duplication of that guy's face. At least the way it's put together. I agree. It's really unsettling. I agree. That's yeah. quite unsettling. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I was just going to say about the, um, it kind of works in the post office where there's the guy mm. in the sort of printing machine, like mm. flying out. Oh, all of cool. the... Yeah, I really like that bit. I think that works really nicely because it's not too overplayed um, mm. and it's not too yeah. different. It's just a slightly, slightly different shape face and, you know, extra limbs. But yeah, I agree with you entirely about the... The, the five and one it's, it's again repugnant is the word yeah, i don't like how it looks it's not right My eyes did get david cross to play that <laughs> so you have this weird showdown in a vacant men in black headquarters that feels teeny tiny if it, it feels it's so mm. odd and uncanny the feeling of that place that we know quite well and then they have the weird little chase through the New York skyline. And then they have this culminating boss level fight on this nondescript roof that it's this weird sort of emotionless, emotional resolution mm. while in the mm. background the big bad is fighting Jay and Kay is occasionally shooting it off screen. Mm. And it's such a weird little hodgepodge of nothing. Mm. How, what do you guys think of this final scene in which everything is supposed to be culminating? Yeah, I couldn't really remember Mm. what the outcome was, except, you know, obviously good prevails. Mm. But even now I can't really remember because you're right. It's (laughs) so uh, thrown away. And the guns, how effective are they? Like, I I just, there's no, there is a bit of an explosion, but I feel like they kill 
um, Selena like eight times Mm. and try and Mm -hmm. do like a big thing each time, but none of them are memorable enough. And right at the end, it is just like a one final shot done. Mm. I was like, I thought there would be, yeah, I thought there would be so much more, you know, pomp and a a lot more kind of going on to make this a really spectacular ending. They just, they just Mm -hmm. kind of blew their load much, much earlier. They just had no idea where to go, I think, and what to do Mm -hmm. with the character of Selena. Because she's a naff villain. (laughs) Yeah, she is It's just naff. naff. It just isn't anything. Just turns up at places to go like, I'm here now. <laughs> Where's my thing? She turns up, stands around and waits until somebody comes to her. And shows off her tits. And goes to yeah. another place. And it's just like, oh, I have boots and these are distracting. Um, how fun. It's just, oh, it's so, it's dull. Um, so yeah, mm. no, I completely agree with you. Where where was like the huge showdown? Because mm. mm. like the bit with Jay getting pulled back and nearly eaten and, you know, K occasionally shooting it that's like an act one scene that's like a mm, funny mm-hmm. throwaway gag that should be right at the yeah. beginning of the film not the finale mm. yeah and even to the point where like trying to pay off emotional hooks that one it either hasn't laid down very well or two is dubious as to whether we're meant to believe that she's <laughs> their father and daughter or not <laughs> 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 And I I don't know how much you can put it down to them having to rework the final act in in light mm. of having to uh, rework a sequence that was based around the World Trade Center because like honestly from what you see here all it really feels like is they've just changed the background yeah. mm. of the skyline of the top of the building that they're on I'm because like and I, I did try to look this up what it actually was but by all accounts it was very much just they fly around the World Trade Center and land on the mm, roof mm. of the Trade Center and the same sort of um, sequence of events unfold. Mm. So I don't really know how much you can put down the added spectacle of flying around some more buildings in the New York skyline was really going nice. to add much mm. more to this. Um, and yeah, it does just like, I, and I think it's something I even said for the original. It just just kind of, the actual showdown at the end is kind of all right here we go shoot the thing mm. we're done um but that's done delivered in a much more um you kind of have a bit more of a the, the script sharper again for one you have a bit more of a battle of wits going on within mm. it and it's supposed to kind of bla- play into the kind of uh uh working day-to-day mm drudgery of this job of just taking out these alien threats that oh it's just another mm. Thursday night on the job but there's a weight to it though uh, still you feel a sense of even though it is quite fleet it's all of mm. what five six seven minutes well yeah but and you still get like you, you do get a winning shot of a spaceship crashing yeah. over a baseball so much so many movements <laughs> <So> like, <yeah. laughs> in that's like when, when, he, when he's trying to goad him by stepping on the cockroaches mm-hmm. and then when Kay jumps inside mm-hmm. and they're all covered in goo then that 80s the villain's not yeah. dead kind of thing yeah. and then Exactly. Uh, There's elevation oh, to it. There's no elevation yeah. here. It's just kind of same yes. beat, same mm. beat. Um, yeah. And then just yeah, and we and then we will just clear it all up with a big firework and a big old Statue of Liberty neuralizer, which I do like that. Touch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good one. <laughs> <sighs> weird, weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
it was something we like i think as a kind of and like a point to kind of round out round out our discussion here there's a point where i think you kind of started with it josh where we spoke about the the kind of moment as a kid when you realize that something's maybe not Mm. quite so good and or something like that follows up something that you love doesn't quite recapture that magic um what are your kind of prevailing regrets with i guess the experience of men in black too and what it kind of embodies is that sort of moment where you kind of can kind of see like oh okay sequels aren't always going to work <laughs> is it a prevailing disappointment or is it something is it is it more than a disappointment is it something else entirely i think for me it's it's not if i ever have children i wouldn't want to show them this sequel like mm. actively wouldn't want to show them because it's because it's nastier and i don't want to be like oh mm. this this sort of like violence against women and the, the kind of like casual misogyny is um is always inevitable that sort of what mm. that this film gives to me that sort of like inevitability of you know okay well if we're not going to work as hard as we did with the first film how do we flesh this out how do we make this into how do, what sort of personality do we give this film and that's what they landed on um mm. So that's mm. kind of that's the disappointment for me is that loss of legacy because even if the second one yeah. had been um, as stupid and perhaps not as well written, like that's you know you could maybe forgive that and you could put it on TV and you know half watch it, but actually mm. because there are these moments that um, just feel so actively nasty, I just mm. wouldn't I just wouldn't bother ever recommending it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a real loss because I do I do love the idea of Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith at the heart of it because that was a relationship that worked so well in the first film. I'm now remembering the third film, Josh Brolin. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I was saying it. <laughs> yes. It realized it worked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise myself. I absolutely did. <laughs> Do you recall your thoughts on the third film? I think I thought that that Josh Brolin was actually really well cast. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, good. he's a great actor. He he's yeah. he's a real fun yeah. one. He's another one that can tread the line between being really quite serious and bringing gravitas and being hilarious as well. Mm. But I don't remember mm-hmm. anything about the plot apart from that. I just remember a desert. Yeah, mm. that's all I've got. Yeah. There's- a moon launch bit. Mm. I know. I can't. I just remember. I'm just remembering. There's an Andy Warhol. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Hader, I think. No way. Maybe yeah. I do you need to watch the weird film. <laughs> in my memory, it's quite good, and I think it's quite under. In my underrated. Me- it's better than this yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. As, okay. As <laughs> it's kind of got the opposite we'll problem of this one. Yeah. We'll come. We'll come to it in a mm. in a few Amazon years time, and probably be like, oh. Yeah, but you never know. You never know. <laughs> um, what but about, what you, about for you? Yeah, because well, I know you were saying like in the Men in Black episode, Men in Black is your kind of platonic mm. ideal of what a blockbuster can be. Mm. Yeah, I think it, how how how's this one smart? A great synthesis of time and place, and Ed Solomon's script is is pretty flawless to me and it's got the perfect director who's got that he's got a cynicism born of being a native new yorker i think but also he's got a mastery of 
spectacle and and how to find wonder in cynicism and vice versa. And it is to me, it's, it's perfect at what it is. It's a perfect example of what yeah. blockbuster can be. And this film is just a testament to absolute creative bankruptcy, and it's really sad. It feels like something that was an obligation. The energy is mm. just completely lacking constantly. I read a, a Letterboxd review that said something like, you get a sense watching it that everyone knew. Like what it, The review said, mm. um, you know when you're making a meal and you're 30 minutes in and you realise that it's not quite congealing in a way that you want it to, but you've put this much time in so you keep on going, even though you know that the resulting mm. dish is not going to be what you want. They get the sense that this film is very much that. No one seems plugged in. No one seems quite sure of what they're going for. And the very fact that instead of building on the end of the first one in interesting ways and finding new dynamics, they just, they spend like almost half the film clamoring back to reestablishing the first, uh, you know, the the meat of the first film. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm past the point of being, I think, too precious about these things because we all know that fandom can get gatekeepy and ugly and toxic it's mm-hmm. just dispiriting i think when um creativity yeah. and such pure creative expression that the first one had is squandered in favor of something that yeah. feels just so cynical and and, and just like just tossed off <laughs> just really even though <laughs> yeah. it's you know a lot of the same creative team just very tossed off so yeah. weariness yeah. andy i think is mm-hmm. is the yeah. <laughs> <I've grown weird>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's one of those weird ones where like i'll always have quite a nostalgic attachment to it even if i think it's pretty bad mm. um it and for 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 better for better or worse it's like when i think of men in black it's gonna be a reel of images from the first and second one that particularly roll through my head just because of how their prevalence when I was younger and like kind of getting into these sort of movies. Um, But it is one of those ones when you do particularly come to it as an adult eyes, one, you question how the hell was this made as a kind of kid friendly product when that there are like quite a lot of um, distasteful and quite vulgar elements within it. And just how can you, how can we have steered from the mark so far? And it's just one of those ones that ultimately you just kind of put it down to, well, that's shit, but we'll always have the first one. Yes. <laughs> we'll always have the first one. At the end of the day. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it will uh, <laughs> forever have given me my party trick of being able to sing the lyrics to Black Seeds Coming, <laughs> Not Yet. <laughs> I mean, that was absolutely my highlight of this entire thing, of watching the film, <laughs> included. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Rihanna, for, for coming back and joining us for yeah, the ride. Really um, Not at all. I really enjoyed yeah. it, despite all evidence really of the contrary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything you'd like our listeners to uh, check out or anything you've got in the works that... Uh, for listeners to look out for or anything you want to plug at all whilst, you're, whilst we've um, got you? Well, if you want to hear like my actual weekly reviews, I'm on every Monday morning on Six Music with Lauren Laverne and every other Thursday afternoon with Nahal on Five Live, Radio 5 Live. So yeah, those are like my weekly reviews and recommendations so you can catch me there. Awesome. 
fantastic uh we'll we'll look out for uh when you eventually come back <laughs> revisit men in black free okay. to see if that gets into the gets kind of a treat now. <laughs> thanks so much guys it's really fun no, no, thank, thank you, you Rihanna. Awesome really appreciate pleasure. you taking the time. Cheers. Let's make it hot. They're back in business. You're getting big. Boy, what you been eating? Back in action. Back in black. Men in black. Two. Hop in. Does that come standard? Actually, it came with a black dude, but he kept getting pulled over. A big thank you once again there to Rihanna Dillon for joining us once more on Ramblin' and Amblin' Podcast for our discussion there on Men in Black 2. If you can't tell, we're not fans. <laughs> we are truly so grateful that Rihanna is so patient and so kind and so generous with her time with us. Absolutely. She deserves better. And we Hopefully promise. we will give her a better film somewhere down the line. <laughs> I would love to because she is great. And that yeah. was a really fun chat. Indeed. Uh, but I, I am glad to see the back of Men in Black too. <laughs> what you were going to say. <laughs> anyway, yes, yes, good. Me too. Goodbye, <laughs> Men in Black too. Um, I am very excited to... So, you know, in previous episodes, we've spoken about mm. the Spielberg paranoid sci-fi mm. trilogy that we've somewhat <laughs> coined. I don't know if it, we coined it, but I think we can claim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to claim that shit. Um, and we're about to go into a run of... Uh, three films, which I think is kind of like the 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 mirror trilogy, if you will, that kind of bleeds into one of them <laughs> and kind of comes out of the other one. And I I would like to start call, calling this one the Spielberg Neo Neopolitan trilogy, for we're about to go through three Spielberg films in order uh, <laughs> over the next three episodes of Ramblin' and Amblin' podcast. As at this point in this uh, studio houses. Timeline, it's kind of just being used as a Spielberg wheelhouse for Spielberg directed things or for Amblin properties that kind of already existed whilst uh, Spielberg's trying to make mm-hmm. DreamWorks w- work over the road with David Geffen and Jeffrey Katzenberg. But uh, the, um, the while the Amblin entertainment uh, production line does slow up a bit during this period, we do we do have some interesting ones coming up from the maestro himself. Yeah, um, very interesting. All for, if by, uh, questionable, yeah. <laughs> consistency. <laughs> uh, hence why I call it the the Neapolitan Spielberg trilogy because yeah. you get you get a pretty you get a solid a flavor, a thick slice of, of vanilla, yeah, a <laughs> scoop of vanilla. <laughs> exactly, they all represent three very different flavors <laughs> of uh, Spielberg. My uh, favorite is strawberry. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the point. Actually, we need to assign which one. Well, I think you can probably one, gauge which one corresponds to strawberry. Yeah. I think so. This one? The one coming up. Catch me if I you think, can. I think that's, <laughs> I think I think that's so. a strawberry. And I then think I think the strawberry. one afterwards is vanilla. Yeah. And, and the one afterwards is chocolate. chocolate. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we, like, we'll reassess at the end of the uh, the end of the three to see if we still land on these three flavors. <laughs> but um, the first in our Neapolitan Spielberg trilogy is the strawberry of the trio. And that is 2002's Catch Me If You Can. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio in what I believe is, at least to date, his only Amblin joint. And Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. who's still got many more Amblin joints to offer. <laughs> <laughs> One immediately afterwards. Yes. 
Um, if you would like to watch the film along with us and don't happen to have it on disc, I'm afraid it's not streaming anywhere. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Do I, have, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> but it is available to rent or buy digitally <clears throat> from Amazon, Apple, Google, Microsoft Store, YouTube, Rakuten TV, Curzon at Home, and Sky Store. And you really should seek it out. It's 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 very much oh, worth a watch. What a, what a caper! <laughs> thoroughly excited. It is a shame we, we if we'd have if we oh, yeah, had a more consistent been, schedule, we would have timed that to be our Christmas episode. But very we just, Christmassy movie. Yeah, yeah. Like last year, as you all know, was a fucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we have, we recommend that you watch it, and and then once you have watched it, share your thoughts with us on Twitter. Uh, yes, Twitter. Uh, at Ramblin getting there <laughs> um, the artist formerly known as Twitter at uh, Ramblin Amblin or email us at Ramblin about Amblin at gmail.com I almost forgot that. it's been a little while <laughs> that is Ramblin about Amblin at gmail.com with your thoughts and while your device is in your hand like us subscribe to us leave us a little review or a rating if you have time and tell your friends yes please do tell your friends spread the word spread be kind the be word. mean be neutral, just talk about us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does about bring us up here on our episode on Men in Black 2. Mm. Um, thank you once again to Rihanna Dillon mm. for joining us. Yeah, and a and big thank you. Check out us. her stuff as well. Absolutely. Uh, be it on BBC Music Radio 6 or uh, whenever she's taking up the uh, the baton for mm. the Kermode Mayo's take, she's always good value. Yes, indeed. Um, and it's peak awards season right now, mm. so she'll be very busy. You'll see her, I'm sure, at a Q&A or Absolutely. something not dissimilar from an awards film around about these times. Uh, uh, thank you, dear listener, for joining us on our episode for Men in Black 2. We'll be back next time for our episode on Catch Me If You Can. I've been Andy Godian. I've been part of Joshua Glenn. And together we've been rambling and ambling podcast all about Men in Black 2. Uh, we hope you take care till the next time. Till then, happy watching.